0: jesus christ be all honor and glory and praise in his church in his people forever if you have a bible open with me please to the book of second peter second peter chapter 2 today second peter 2 verses 1 through 3 and we're going to look in this text at the idea of gospel denying false teachers Uh, it's it's going to take two weeks to get through these three verses as i think um, false teaching is a prevalent issue in our day, one that we will do well to spend some time looking at what God's Word has to say about. So so we will look this week and next, Lord willing, at verses 1 through 3 under the heading of Gospel Denying False Teachers. Um, in, in this text, there are clear applications for the people of the Lord, and there are clear warnings to those who are apart from and who are not in the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter paints a picture in this text of these deceitful, dishonest, truth-maligning, God-hating people who desire to bring their destructive heresies into the church. So this is a sobering text. This second chapter is a sobering chapter because Peter is just going to cover false teaching extensively. And so it's a sobering look at these deceitful people who seek to undermine the authority of the truth of God's word. These verses will show us that evil will increase, that Christ will be despised, Christ will be blasphemed, but in that we also see that Christ will be triumphant because judgment will come, destruction will come upon those who teach and proclaim Christ falsely. So it's a sobering text. It's a sobering chapter, but we also see this glorious, victorious look of, of Christ as the judge who will vindicate not us, though there is some vindication for us in, in Christ's reign and in his judgment, but he vindicates himself. He vindicates himself as the author of all truth. So with that, let's um, turn to our text, and I want to read these three verses, and then we need to ask the Lord's blessing as we study His Word. So if you would, please stand with me as we read God's Word, Second Peter, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. This is holy and errant and inspired scripture, the very Word of God. It says, but false prophets also arose among the people. Just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bring swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is is not asleep. May the Lord write his word upon our hearts. You may be seated. Now let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you and we praise you. You are, as we read, exalted. Your name is exalted in all the earth. You are holy, holy, holy holy and the whole earth is full of your glory all of your creation shows your handiwork all of your creation displays the power of your voice in creating the universe lord all things point to your majesty your power and your greatness and so i pray that it is with humble hearts that we come before your presence as the king of kings the Lord of Lords, the author, creator, and sustainer of all things. Lord, we come to you and we ask, as we are before your throne of grace, coming in the name of the Son, through the Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open our eyes to the truth. Lord, I ask that you would write your word upon our hearts, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, and hearts that are humbled and ready and eager to, to receive and apply the truth. Lord, we live in dark and difficult days. We live in days where the truth is maligned, the truth is hated. Those who stand unwaveringly upon the truth are hated and scorned and rejected. Lord, where else should we go? In your word, we find the words of eternal life your word we find all truth in your word we find that which gives life lord i pray that we would come to your word ready to receive it and to heed it and to pay attention to it and to apply it lord i ask that your holy spirit would help us in this endeavor for we can give all attention all devotion to this effort And yet, if we do it apart from your Holy Spirit's help, it's all in vain. It's all useless. It will all amount to nothing in the end. So would your Spirit come and help us? Pray that your Spirit would help us as we interpret the text. Pray that your Spirit would help us as we understand and apply the text. Pray that you would help us to put away distractions and to give the best of our attention and the best of our effort to this great endeavor for what better thing can we do as your people in this world than to hear your word, that we might apply it and go live according to it. So, Lord, again, I ask for your help. Lord, we understand how desperate, how dependent we are upon you. Pray that the words that are spoken as we look at your word would, would bring honor and glory to you. Pray that all of our worship through song, through reading, through prayer, through giving, through preaching, teaching, and hearing your word, I pray that all of this worship would be pure and pleasing and acceptable to you. Lord, search our hearts, know our ways, reveal our sin. Lead us in the everlasting way, the way of repentance. Do this for your sake. We pray your kingdom come. In Christ's name, amen. So coming to chapter two, I want to take just a brief moment to reset kind of the context because chapter two flows so clearly out of chapter one. Peter doesn't give the same instruction in chapter two that he gives in chapter one because we need to remember it. We need to understand what has previously been written, and to summarize, I think we can look at verses 10 and 11. You could pick out probably any two verses in the first chapter to help summarize. I think verses 10 and 11 do it well. Peter says, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain his calling and choosing of you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Peter has written about the believer's work to be diligent in working out our salvation. That we are to diligently apply all moral excellence as the outworking of our faith. But Peter has also shown us that this salvation is the outworking of the Word of God. Our our hope and our life is in faith alone, in Christ alone. We, we come to Christ by faith, and that is what transforms. It is that faith in Christ that the Spirit uses to breathe new life into our souls so that we are able to obey the Lord and to heed His Word. So as Peter has this direct focus on the outworking of our faith, we realize that that is in submission to the authoritative, sufficient Word of God, and it is has brought to pass. It is brought about by the work of Christ. If you strive for this moral excellence apart from Christ, you strive in vain and you will reach no goal. Peter teaches us not to keep the law, but to live transformed lives because we're in Christ. We're a new creation in him, and so that's the backdrop. And then we come to chapter 2, and as I mentioned, chapter 2 is this this blast of Peter about false teachers. He gives us, I think, really three clear descriptions throughout the chapter, kind of three ways that we can hone in on some direct ideas of what false teachers look like. In verses 1 through 3, we see that they are crafty exploiters. They're crafty exploiters. They sneakily and deceitfully bring destructive heresies into the church to take advantage of the church so that they may personally benefit, so that they may exploit you for their gain. That's one description. In verses 10 through 16, we see that they are bold sinners. They are daring and self-willed. They are revilers who revel in the evil and wickedness of their sin. It's the second description. In verses 17 through 22, we see that they are enslaved enticers enslaved enticers they are enslaved to sin they have no way to get out of this bounding to sin and while they walk in that sin they try to entice you they they try to bring you along so that you will fall prey to sin with them so that you will be held down by the power of sin so they are enslaved enticers that's a sobering picture you notice, if you were following along, I skipped over verses 4 through 10. Because in verses 4 through 10, Peter, the, the Lord through Peter, reminds that the Lord will preserve the righteous, he will hold you firm, and he will not delay in his judgment. We, we see later on in, in chapter 3 that to the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. And so we don't count slowness according. He doesn't count slowness according to how we do. And so he preserves the righteous and he reserves judgment for these false teachers. So again, that should be sobering to us. This is a compelling chapter. I think we need to pay special attention because false teaching is so prevalent in our day. The, the spread of false teaching is so prevalent because it's so easy to gain a following. It's so easy to spread a message and really have no accountability in whether or not that message is true. So, church, we need to pay attention. We need to understand what false teachers look like and how we're able to identify them so that we are able to reject, resist, and avoid them. So we focus on verses 1 through 3 today and, and Lord willing, next week to see the, the propagation of false teaching and the exploitation of false teachers and When you think about that with chapter 1 in the backdrop, you know Peter's primary exhortation. You know what Peter says is the medicine to this ill. It's that you hold firmly to the word. You submit fully to the truth. You know the gospel so that you are able to resist false teachers, so that you do not fall prey to them. So that they are not able to exploit you and take advantage of you as they send their deceitful schemes out into the world, oftentimes they try to do that through the church. So we must stand firm. We must know the truth. We must know the gospel. And then we must resist, we must remain, we must not waver. One goal that I have in our time today is to, as we get to the end of verse one, take a few minutes just to think about what are some of the, what are some of the primary false teachings of our day. You know, we, we can talk about false teachers, but if we don't apply it, if we don't open our eyes and look at the world around us, we really don't do ourselves much good. So Lord willing, at the end, I want to just discuss a few items that are prevalent in our day and hopefully even prevalent in our circles, in reformed evangelicalism, to understand the things that we must identify and resist. So verses 1 through 3, we'll, we'll break down really cleanly. We'll see the prevalence of false teachers. We'll see the progress of false teachers. We'll see their purpose. Then we'll also see their punishment. So their prevalence, their progress, their purpose but then their punishment. We'll get through the first two of those today. We'll begin at the beginning of verse 1, looking at the prevalence of false teachers. Peter writes, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. We see the prevalence of false teachers because we see false teaching is not a new thing. Peter's pointing back to the Old Testament, to the prophets. There were false prophets that arose among the people for the very same purposes of false teachers of Peter's day and false teachers of our day, to prey on weak-minded people, to exploit them, to take advantage of them for their own sinful gain. You really think about it, false teaching has gone all the way back to the garden, all the way back to the fall. That's what Satan did in the garden. He professed something that the Lord did not say. He twisted and falsely instructed and falsely led according to something that the Lord did not actually say. Satan is the ruler of all false teachers. Satan is the prince of the power of the air. He rules this world system, and Jesus said that he is the father of all lies. Think back to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. This is right before Really, really, it is the fall of Adam and Eve. Genesis 3, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he, the serpent, said to the woman, Indeed, has God said that you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Has God said? He's crafty. He is deceitful. He weaves his lies well so that we might believe them. You think about this. Satan's plan w- was was exactly this order, and it remains this order. He deceives, then he tempts, and then he hopes to lead you into sin. That's the way that Satan leads you into sin today. He deceives. Did, did the Lord really say that you can't have that thing, That that you can't watch that movie or, or read that book or, or you can't pursue that type of relationship. Did God really say that? He deceives you. And then what does Satan do? He tempts you. He puts that very thing that your flesh wants right there in front of your eyes so, so that you might be tempted, that you might desire it, that you might see the earthly pleasure that it would supposedly bring you. And then he leads you into sin because you're already deceived. You've already rejected the authority of God's word, his clear and sufficient word. You've allowed yourself to be tempted by thinking that this thing that the Lord says is sin might actually bring you pleasure. And then Satan draws you into sin. False teachers since the garden have used that very order, that very method to gain a following and to lead people astray and into sin. So we need to remember false teaching is not a new thing. It goes all the way back to creation. All the way back to the first sin. That should sober us when you think about false teaching. You, you think about the garden. You think about Adam and Eve there enjoying the perfection of, of God's creation and yet they were able and willing to be deceived and led into sin who are you to say that you will not be deceived who are you to say that you can listen to to this type of teaching that weaves truth and error and you'll discern out what is true and what is not what is right and what is wrong What is truth and what is error? Who is to say that you can do that? What arrogance and what pride. Friends, we need to stand firmly on the truth. We need to fill our minds with the truth. We need to not waver. We need to not be willing to give in just because the world presses and mocks and hates. We need to stand firm. Peter says, false prophets also arose among the people. So it's not just at the garden that we see this false teaching. It's not just at the garden. We can look really throughout the Old Testament. It, it, it's a common thing in the Old Testament to see false prophets. But I just want to give you a few references to kind of paint a broad picture of the ways that false teaching was applied and, and how the Lord responded to false teaching." Jeremiah chapter 5. Jeremiah chapter 5, verses 30 and 31. This is the Lord speaking. He says, an appalling and horrible thing has happened among the people. The prophets prophesy falsely. And my people love it so. But what will you do at the end of it? An appalling horrible thing has happened in the land the prophets prophesy falsely the lord says and my people love it so do you allow yourself to be soothed by that which is false do you allow yourself to 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 be your mind to be attacked by falsehoods and 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 not draw a hard line to reject that which is not true If you do, you're on a a pathway to danger because the Lord says, the prophets prophesy falsely, and this is a horrible, detestable, appalling thing. My people love it. My people enjoy it. They drink it in. These are God's people. Israel, the, the called out ones. And they loved falsehood. Friends, we must guard that that is not the case of us. In Micah chapter five, chapter 3, verse 5, says, Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray. The Lord says, When they have something to bite with their teeth, they cry, Peace. But against him who puts nothing in their mouths, they declare holy war. This is the prophets who lead the Lord's people astray. When they have something to bite, when they have something to sink their teeth into, when they're gaining their, their wanton pleasure at the hands of God's people, they cry for peace. Everything is good. Don't adjust, don't change, don't attack the status quo. But Then when they're not getting what they want, when a false prophet is not being fulfilled, when they're not gaining what they want from the people of God, they make a holy war. They, they seek to attack the people of God so that they can exploit them and have something to gain from them. Zechariah, chapter 13, verse 3, this is a, an interesting picture. This is the parents of a false teacher, the parents of a false prophet speaking. And they will say to the false one, according to the Lord's word, they say, you shall not live. So this is parent to child, father to son, father and mother to son or daughter. You shall not live, for you have spoken falsely in the name of the Lord. That's sobering. That should get your attention. Parent to a child, you shall not live because you blaspheme God. Is that our heart? Do we hold the Lord in such honor and reverence that we'd be willing to take such a stand? Now, of course, we don't take justice to that level in our hands you shall not live but would we plant our feet so firmly against one who proclaims falsely we we could find plenty of other examples in the old testament about false prophecy and and false teachers but even these few should show us that false teaching false prophets were common they were prevalent they had a foothold in and among God's people also should remind us that sometimes the people of God even loved them the people of God even fed themselves upon that false teaching but what was the lord's response he hated it he judged it he condemned it we must be like the lord we must be willing to mark and avoid so Peter says, False prophets arose among the people, just as there also will be false teachers among you. So, what we have to see here is no age in history is spared from the danger of false teaching. We went from the garden to the Old Testament, to the prophets. Now we're in the New Testament, in the church age, and they're still there. And then Christ, speaking of his second coming, Matthew chapter 24. Verse 5, to his disciples, he said, Many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. So from the garden, to the prophets, to the church, to the end of days, there are false teachers. We must understand that. We must see their prevalence. Many will come and openly declare their faults. you think about that statement from Jesus... They come and say, I am the Christ. Well, if somebody came today and, and said, I am the Christ, surely we would quickly mark and avoid as a false teacher. But many come with a more subtle false teaching. That's what Peter is, is outlining for us, that they come in and they secretly introduce the, these false teachings, these heresies. But on either side of that coin, we must understand that this danger remains. It remains and we must prepare ourselves for it. We must prepare ourselves to stand against it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13, Paul said that there are those who are false apostles. They are deceitful workers disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. We read Romans 16 earlier. Think about verses 17 and 18 there. Paul says, Now I urge you, brethren... Keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned, and turn away from them. These men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites, and by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. False apostles, false followers of Christ, people who cause dissensions, who live and, lead, live and walk and teach in a way contrary to the truth, that are often, as Paul describes, flatterers and smooth talkers. And that's where we have to take care, church, that, that we don't fall prey to one who might build you up or might speak in a way that is appealing to your flesh, but then there's no substance, there's no truth. The Apostle John writes in 1 John chapter 4, he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Test the spirits, because many have gone out. We could look at Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, First and Second Timothy, Titus, Jude, revelation and on and on almost every book of the new testament mentions false teaching it's prevalent we must test the spirits we must identify falsehood we do that with a genuine and a true knowledge of god a genuine and true knowledge of god that leads to godliness that leads to pure and undefiled religion the first step to stand against falsehood is to know that it exists. That's, that's kind of the big, the, the big summary here that I want you to take away is to stand against falsehood, you have to know that it exists. For you have to know that you have an enemy before you think about defending against the enemy. You can't identify an enemy if you don't know that it's there, if you're unwilling to admit that it's there. So we need to see that it's there. We need to know the enemy We need to plan to defend against it, and we even need to make a plan to go on the offensive because they're prevalent, and we must resist. We must acknowledge their prevalence. We must stand firm against them. So we continue in the text, and we can also see the progress of false teachers, the progress of false teachers. Really, what we can see is how far they reach and that they reach their way all the way into the church But we also see the way that they do that secretly, and they do it with destructive heresies. Peter says, Just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. Even denying the master who bought them. Uh, do Do you see and understand what Peter's saying here? He's writing to the church. He began in his introduction talking about these people being of like faith of his. They're those who belong to Christ, those who are empowered by the Holy Spirit, those who had been given the truth of God's word, at least what had been revealed up to that point. Yet he says, false teachers will come in among you. They will secretly work their way into the church. How do they do that? How do they get into the church? It's because they do it secretly, deceitfully, with deception, with unclear and unproclaimed motives. That's really what that word secretly even speaks to. It's the word para Mike talked about para the the idea of bringing one to your side through exhortation. This is kind of a related word, but what it means is to bring one to your side with unstated unclear deceitful motives that's what false teachers do they call you to their side but they call you to a destination that they don't make clear they want you to come alongside of them but then once you get up close you see that it's a place of destruction a place of lies of a, a, a falsehood jude 4 says that these people have crept in unnoticed crept in without being seen or known or identified. On one hand, we must be careful. Paul says that love believes all things in 1 Corinthians 13. Love believes all things. And, and so we need to be careful when we think about this idea of false and unclear motives of false teachers because love believes the best. Love believes all things, so it does not assume the worst of others. But we must also acknowledge that false teachers are exactly as they're described here. They're deceitful. They are tricky. They're shrewd. They they know how to cover and cloak themselves so they can work their way in here among us. And and so we ask, how do we find this balance? How do we find the balance uh, of identifying, having flags go up and having the necessary conversations, but also believing all things? not assuming the worst. How do we do that? We apply God's word evenly and broadly. Broadly as in to all of life. There's no area reserved that that we can say, well, that's that's my personal business and I'm going to keep that reserved and hidden. Those are personal relationships and and they are mine and you're not going to work your way into them. No, we apply God's word to all of life. Broadly, and evenly, So the same standard applies to a believer who is six weeks into their walk with Christ and to one who is 60 years into their walk with Christ. Now, how you address those situations may differ because someone who is saved out of gross immorality with no knowledge of the Scripture is going to need a lot more hand-holding, a lot more teaching, and probably a lot more patience than someone that's walked with the Lord for decades and decades but the standard is the standard. What the Lord commands is what he commands for all people. So we apply the word evenly and broadly. We know, I think, one way that we do this is knowing that these people will deny the master who bought them. It's what Peter says. They're even denying the master who bought them. Denying is a verbal expression, typically. So so we want to apply this kind of in exactly what Peter says, and then where we can kind of safely stretch this out and understand some other implications. Denying is a verbal denial. So you'll have some who verbally deny Christ. They verbally deny his lordship or his commands. You'll have some that do that in a more subtle way. And they, will, they will indicate that, that, you know, is that really what, The Lord said, Is that really what He wants you to do? Do you really need to stretch and apply the Scriptures that far? Well, if the Lord says it, it's pretty plain and pretty clear, and that's how we apply Scripture. So they can deny subtly or they can deny in an outright way. And and that's a primary mark of false teachers. Primary mark of false teachers is that they deny Christ, they deny His Lordship and His authority. But this is also where we need to be shrewd. We need to be wise. We need to be full of the Spirit and full of the Scriptures. We need to be spiritually minded while remaining humble and gentle and patient. And, and, and those, those descriptors are important because one way that false teachers will deny Christ is by saying what is right or, or what is Mostly right, but then they deny Christ in the way that they live. So so Peter, I think, specifically has in mind this this verbal denial. But we have to understand that it's not just verbal denial that false teachers will, will take to deny Christ. They will deny him in the way that they live. They may not teach plain, clear heresy, but their lives are counter to the Lord's commands. And again, this is where patience and love and graciousness come in. The Lord has been patient and gracious and loving to us as we continue to battle sin. But the Lord holds us accountable. The Lord disciplines the one that he loves. And we need to take on that same mindset of accountability, of holding to and pressing the truth. One great challenge, I think, that that this type of denial can bring, and we'll talk about this idea a little bit more in a moment too, is that you will go to someone who is saying most of the right things, maybe not just clearly, outwardly heretical, but their lives are are counter to Scripture, and you go and you hold them accountable, and, and they will immediately put up the stop sign and say, well, now you're just being legalistic. If you haven't heard that in your Christian life, maybe you've not been around the right people because that is such a common claim. When you address sinful behavior in the lives of people, one of the immediate safeguards that those who want to remain in their sin will put up is this this claim of legalism. And so we have to be careful. We have to know that's coming. And it would be great, it would be wonderful if there was this clear set of rules, this clear prescription where we could clearly identify those who are struggling with sin and fighting against it versus those who are reveling in it and just don't want to give it up. But that's not what we always have. We must put on a spiritual mind. We must seek after spiritual discernment. There comes a point when repentance is not true repentance, when a life does not change. There's such thing as worldly sorrow that leads only further into destruction. Paul makes the distinction of worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. The godly sorrow leads to repentance that leads to a changed life. You have to be careful. You have to be charitable in how you apply that. But there comes a point when someone claims Christ and claims to have His spirit in them, and yet they run deeper and deeper and further and further and more headlong into sin, While claiming to repent, that you say, this person is false. They are not in Christ. And then you address the situation that way. Really, what this means is that we need to be willing and spiritually adept enough to biblically deal with situations, to bring Scripture to bear. When you confront sin, you're not confronting sin with your opinion. You're confronting sin with the truth of Scripture. Maybe you're wondering and worried about the heart of a brother or sister. You bring the truth to bear. You don't come with your ideas, with your opinions, what you think you've witnessed. You come with the truth. Is your heart this? Yeah, that's exactly what I think. Well, your life doesn't show it. Bring the truth to bear. Because from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. From the overflow of the heart, we act. So address the heart with the truth, and then let the Lord do the rest of the work. So you say, why why are we going on and on here? Well, why is this so important? Well, Peter tells us. He says, they secretly introduce destructive heresies. These are not little, little disagreements that, hey, we can agree to disagree and we march on and we remain in fellowship. These are destructive. They cause shipwreck of faith. This is the type of heresy that if an unbeliever were to hear it and latch onto it, they would remain outside of Christ. It's destructive. It leads to shipwreck. We must avoid it. We must take great care that such falsehood does not come in among us. Now, one final note, um, kind of before we move forward a little bit, Peter says that they even deny the master who bought them. Deny the master who bought them. Now, there are some who will take that and try to universally apply the death, the sacrifice of Christ, that, oh, well, Jesus must have died for everybody because these false teachers then turn around and deny him. That's not the case, and I'll prove it to you in just a moment. People might say that this implies that you could lose your salvation. You were in Christ, but then you deny the master who bought you. Again, that's not the case, and we can prove it by the words of Jesus. John 6, verse 37 All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. The one who comes belongs to Christ. The Father has given you to Christ. No one is able, Christ said, to snatch you out of his hand. My Father, he said, who's given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. That means you can't even snatch yourself out of the Father's hand. No one can do it, not even you could do it. If you could do it, you would. Because that remaining sin, that remaining flesh, would overwhelm God's hold on you, and you would pluck yourself out of his hand. But it's God who keeps you. You remain in Christ because he does not let you go. And all that are his come to him and remain in him. So these people prove themselves to not know Christ because they misapply his commands. They misapply his teaching they misapply the fact that no one can remove themselves or be removed from Christ's hand they deny the master who bought them they say I'm I'm one of I'm one of Christ I belong to him and yet their life denies him so that's the the progress of these false teachers they work and weave their untrue teaching into the church and it's destructive We must avoid it. Now, again, thinking about the implications of this truth, I want to just kind of take a broad brush brush and look at a few of the common heresies of our day, try to give some practical ways that we can look in the world around us and look at the world among us, within us, and see if there are issues that uh, that we need to address, things that we should be concerned about. And this is not exhaustive in any way. Um, we, we would be here for the rest of the day, the rest of the week if we wanted to exhaustively look at these matters or the matters that we're not even going to address, we could spend hours and hours. But I want to give you just a few just to, just to think about, just to kind of prime the pump. Uh, the, the first that comes to mind, and if you're like me, this is probably the first that came to your mind, is the social justice gospel. Now, we've addressed that, and I don't want to spend a lot of time here because we've talked about it at length um, recently within the church, But this is, and this is kind of a heresy. I think it's kind of run its course among Reformed evangelicals. I say that because the lines have been drawn. It's very clear who, who's on the left and who's on the right or who's on the right and who's on the left. It's also clear, I think, even who is trying to straddle the middle and not make enemies on either side, and the enemy, the the one who won't be enemies with what is false, I think scripture would tell us is an enemy of the truth. So it's it's run its course in a lot of ways, but we need to be aware of it, no less. We need to understand because the undercurrents of this social justice movement are so prevalent, and they're so dangerous. When you think about this, the the racial identities, which is unbiblical. Think about the lack of forgiveness, the promotion of victimhood. It's heretical. It's unbiblical. Paul would say it's another gospel. So we need to mark it. We need to understand it. There's this great division that occurs whenever you talk about social justice. Uh, the, the, The work of social justice is to divide divide into categories? Well, we know from Scripture that there are two things that divide. It's Christ and His Word. It's not your, your social status. It's not the color of your skin. It's not your gender. It's not whether you are held down by another person. It's Christ and His Word that divides, and, and anything that we add to that is added by man and needs to be rejected. So We're going to move on because otherwise we'll keep going there, and I want to get to some other matters. So you have social justice. Another thing that we could consider and the kind of you kind of have two sides of the same coin and that would be lawless salvation versus legalism, antinomianism versus legalism. Um, Address the idea of lawless salvation first. It's those who overapply the grace of God. You say, wait a second, how do we overapply overapply the grace of God? It's a fountain that never runs dry. Praise the Lord that his grace is a fount that never runs dry, but it's a fount that doesn't run dry and then empowers you to do what's right, not giving you forgiveness to just continue to run headlong into sin. So When you think about this idea of lawless salvation, you go address someone for a sin. You bring up a concerning matter and you will be quickly and swiftly reminded, hey, we're we're under grace. We're not under the law. And, And to that we would say yeah praise the lord that is true we are under the covenant of grace but that doesn't mean that you continue in your sin that's really I, th- I think the clearest mark of someone who is who is struggling with that falsehood is you go and address something and the immediate response is basically to to throw off the their um their weight in that their responsibility in that and say yeah but we're we're under grace so, so basically, we're under grace, so don't bring that up. Don't come to me with that sin. Jesus said, those who love me will obey me. 1 John 4, verse 4, says, and he says, The one who says, I've come to know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. That is what it means to be in Christ, is that you know him, and that you walk in his ways we don't need to minimize the the need and the importance of obedience we don't need to minimalize the broad commands of the lord and how the call to obedience applies to all of life so we don't minimize the need for obedience and, and we don't shirk off the the broad application of the truth that god's truth applies to all of life whether in the home whether in the workplace whether at the gym, whether at the supermarket, whether here in the church. The Lord's commands apply. You, you don't get this, this claim, this get-out-of-jail-free card to say, we're under grace, so I can go and, and pursue this sinful thing. No, you pursue that which is lovely, that which is good, that which is honorable and of good repute. The flip side of this coin, of course, is legalism or, or the closely related idea of moralism. Moralism is that idea where you say, Well, if I go and do all these things, if I obey in this way, the Lord will then bless me. Legalism is where you say, Oh, if I go do all these good things and and live right, the Lord will accept me. He will count those good deeds as righteousness. And surely that is not the case. Surely we know that by grace we have been saved through faith, not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. We are saved not that we may boast, but we are saved to walk in good works, the good works that the Lord prepared beforehand. So you have these two sides of the same coin, and the way that we walk in in between those, you you use those as guardrails, the way that we stay on the road is to remember Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. By grace, through faith, in Christ alone, and we're saved to walk in ways that please and honor Him. Another heresy that I would mention, and this is a a broad kind of overview, broad oversight, and, and that is that false teaching that creates a false picture, a false view of Jesus and his commands. It undermines the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture. It's those who will often, and you may know where this goes, that will pit Paul against Jesus, the the instruction of Paul's letters versus the words of Christ. These are those who overemphasize Jesus' dining and walking with sinners during his earthly ministry. They, They paint this picture of this tolerant, accepting Jesus that is not biblical. Jesus was not tolerant of sin. He came to seek and save that which was lost, and so he came to save sinners, he came to walk among sinners that he could proclaim himself so that they could see and behold his glory. But he didn't come so that LGBTQ people could remain in and pursue that sin. He didn't come so that people could say, well, this is just the way the Lord made me. I'm not going to pursue these desires, but I'm not going to put them to death. Those are the people who take hold of that view, I think, the most. The LGBTQ they paint this picture of this tolerant, accepting Jesus because, hey, he dined with sinners, he dined with with the worst of the people, and so he must be okay with this. So they remain in their sin. Now, they'll tell us that that what we must do is hate the sin and love the sinner, and there's, of course, some truth to that. We We don't hate people, we hate that which is evil, but... We don't love people in such a way that they feel accepted as they remain in their sin. We, we're not hateful, but we must be truthful. We, as, as Paul would write, we must speak the truth in love. We don't speak in love, we speak the truth in love. So th- these are, are just a few examples. Um, again, we could go on and on. But just a few examples of false teachings that are prevalent and advancing in our day and are even working their way, I think, trying to work their way into the church. We need to be mindful of them. We need to remember kind of working towards a conclusion. We need to, as we fight this battle, we need to keep in mind the end of verse 1 and a truth we'll see again in verse 3 next time says, they'll deny the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Do you see, reading that, why it's the most loving, the most courageous, the most God-honoring thing that we can do to stand firm and reject these falsehoods? It's because these people will find themselves on the path to hell if we do not. You have the truth, so speak it. Stand upon it proclaim it. Don't let someone go by you spouting falsehood and not say something because you want to be tolerant or accepting. Know that they are on a swift path to destruction. It's only the truth and the Spirit of God that can set them free. Perhaps your stand upon the truth will lead a false teacher to the knowledge of the truth. Perhaps your stand upon the truth will save someone from falling prey to a false teacher. This is a mindset that was not foreign to the Apostle Paul. 1 Timothy chapter 4, we'll get down to verse 16 eventually. But he says, beginning at verse 11, 1 Timothy 4 verse 11, Prescribe and teach these things, Timothy Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through the prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Timothy's holding to the truth ensured his own salvation and brought salvation to those who heard. Paul said, take pain in that. Be absorbed in it. Pay attention to yourself and to your teaching because it's the teaching, the proclamation of the word that brings salvation. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. You must know that false teachers are present or they are coming. We must... Understand that they will seek to advance until they are stopped. We must stand firm and resist. If you take a hard stand against things, especially some of these heresies that we have mentioned, you take a hard stand, you're going to be called hard hearted. You're going to be called harsh. You're going to be called legalistic. You're going to be scorned and mocked and hated. You will be standing upon the truth, and there's no place you would rather stand than upon the truth of God's Word. The option is to stand upon the truth or to be a false teacher and a false proclaimer who is on this swift path to destruction. So many of these things, especially you think about the the LGBTQ. It's just biblically indefensible. Stand firm. We're going to face an onslaught from our culture in these things. But we must stand firm. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He said, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we're ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. Church, will you stand firm? Will you take up the full armor of God? Will you go to war for his army? Or are you going to cower? Are you going to waver? Are you going to give in and allow the the schemes of the world, the schemes of evil, to overtake your life and overtake your spot, your position among the Lord's people? We must stand firm. We must be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, busying, busying ourselves in the Lord's work. Doing that, our toil is never in vain. Our work is never useless. But rather, we're working for the coming kingdom of Christ. May the Lord be glorified in His people defending the truth. Let me throw one other thought in there. As you defend the truth, be one who rejoices in Christ. Be one who rejoices in Christ. Don't don't be a sour-faced defender stand firm with the joy of Christ upon your face and overflowing your heart. Because if you're not proclaiming Christ, you're missing the mark anyway. If you're not leading to Christ, there's no reason to stand for the truth. We stand for the truth to deliver someone from the path of destruction to the path of eternal life. Let's lay aside the flesh. Let's proclaim the transforming power of Christ. The, the whole truth, the whole counsel of his word. Let's walk by the Spirit. Let's not gratify the desires of the flesh. And let's seek the honor and glory of the Lord in all that we do. Let's pray.